We'll be looking at uh, Romans 9, especially verse 3. Hearing then God's holy and inspired word to us, his people. Verses 1 through 3, I'll read of chapter 9. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word, uh, which you yourself have stated is a lamp to our feet. May it indeed be a light to our path, even this morning, as we seek to know you, to understand your ways, and to grow to be more like Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. I want to look at uh, a portion of verse 3, I read those three verses just for context, but especially focusing on verse 3 with reference to a point uh, we all heard in the sermon last week. Recall Pastor Kaiser examined the heart and the faith and the actions of the servant girl to Naaman's wife. Uh, recall that at a young age, she had been taken from her homeland in a raid, uh, placed in that home as a servant. Even while living among the enemies of the Israelites, she maintained her faith in God as seen, and we saw several facets of this, but as seen by her unwavering confidence that there was a sure remedy for her mistress's husband's leprosy, the prophet of Samaria. He would help him, right? So pastor called this the evidence of her heart for the lost. Turning then to Romans 9, we see famously, these are a well-known passage, we see famously Paul's great heart for the lost. What vexes his soul? To use modern terminology, what kept him awake at night? What occupied his mind? What weighed on his heart causing such great pain? A pain that would not go away. Various translations reading that phrase in verse two, unceasing pain, unceasing anguish, continual grief. Looking back at 2 Kings 5, uh, it appears that that little girl had developed a love for her mistress and her master. Though she was wrestled from her home and her homeland, all that she had known and held dear, taken from her parents, her neighborhood, her community, brought to a place without true worship of God, after all of that, she loved those people. She loved them enough that she wanted good for them. She could see the suffering that had come upon Naaman and she desired his good. Knowing that God is the one who heals, it's natural that she would connect the two. So on one hand, she sees a person she cares about suffering physically. On the other hand, she knows it is the one true and living God who heals. Bring those together, go to the prophet of Samaria the one who speaks and acts in God's name. In the text before us in Romans 9, obviously Paul had developed a great, an aching, a burning and overwhelming love for his countrymen. Though he was harassed by them, chased, mocked, suffered all manner of trials at their hands, he still wanted good for them. He knew personally, we can see, the heartache, the hopelessness of being apart from Christ. He'd lived that emptiness of having a form of godliness, but not knowing the true power thereof. He'd seen, he'd been transformed by, 
he'd lived and preached the power of God unto salvation. So it is natural that he would, just as the servant girl to Naaman's mistress, that he would connect the two, knowing that his brethren are dead in trespasses and sins, knowing that it is the one true and living God who gives life, that he would seek mercy, urge them to repent and believe in Jesus who gives life. So what a remarkable thing that in both of these cases, love is expressed in spite of the pain, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the kidnapping and all of that. Love expressed in spite of, in the midst of, perhaps even because of the pain. The servant girl had been taken from her home. She hadn't seen her family for years, likely living though in a fairly good material situation since Naaman was a chief of uh, a commander of the army. Yet in spite of and in the midst of those circumstances, living a life that there was grief. She had all sorts of things to complain about. She did not though wallow in her bitterness, wishing ill or vengeance upon Naaman. Would have been very natural, very humanly speaking. Instead, as we said, she wanted health and healing for her master. Likewise, Paul, as I said, was severely persecuted. He was chased from city to city, facing all manner of physical hardships. On top of the physical difficulties was the scorn of being ostracized from the very religious system that he had sought and been successful at advancing in to such a high degree. He lived and breathed that for so many years. Yet in spite of the pain inflicted on him at the hands of the Jews, he didn't angrily plot their downfall. As we said, he sought their good. He wanted them to be part of that precious, all-surpassing love of God found only in Christ Jesus. And that's just a few verses ahead of the passage here in chapter 9. Two cases we see separated by thousands of years of human history but yet the blink of an eye in the God who sees it all and knows it all from the beginning. Hence, I would say, the consistency of these stories, right? Two people, different circumstances, loving the same God. Brought my, to my mind uh, this week, and I was talking a bit with Bill Crilly as we were leaving the street downtown last night, and he asked me what text I was going to be speaking from, decided to go with the Romans one instead of this one, but to draw our eyes to John 15, I believe it's verse 13, where we read, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. And of course, we might say, oh, well, that's friends. That's what Jesus does for friends. And here we're speaking of Paul and the girl relating to their enemies. Well, if it was not for God's work of redemption and regeneration in our hearts, we are enemies, right? That's how we start out. He makes us willing. Ponder that for a moment, that you, I, we all together justly deserve God's wrath and curse. Yet, God, who is holy and just, provided atonement for our sin, whereby Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is great love. Naaman's servant girl was filled with a, uh, a form of that love, obviously not the same as the Savior's, whether in magnitude or some difference in kind even, but she was filled with that same love. And so she wanted him to go to the one that could help. Paul was filled with that same love. And so he wanted his countrymen to submit to Jesus, who was the source of life. And I would challenge us, I challenge myself daily, 
as Friday rolls around, <laughs> Friday evening rolls around. I challenge myself, I challenge you. Do we have that same love? Do we live out and act upon that same love? Does love drive us to compromise? Compromise our physical comfort a little bit? Uh, does it motivate us to go outside our normal routines? Does love for the lost, does love for God bring change of priorities, change of schedules, activities, conversations, relationships? I would suggest, uh, based on this uh, brief glance at 2 Kings 5 and at Paul's missionary life in general, that love should and it can. That's the great hope of it, right? When we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, when we have God's grace saturating us and coming out through us, that love can, should, and will drive us to act on opportunities to point others to the Lord. Uh, in some cases, we'll be somewhat passive in these opportunities, and I think that's the focus of the case in 2 Kings 5. She, by God's providence, was brought to these circumstances, but yet an opportunity arose and she actively engaged on it. Paul was much more active. You could say he sought opportunities. He picked a fight in some cases, if you will. Not aggressively, not meanly, but strategically, opportunistically, he sought these situations. She, the girl, 2 Kings 5, could have kept quiet. She could have avoided it, but she spoke up and bore witness to God's mercy and healing. Paul was, as I said, more active. He traveled hither and yon, across oceans, thousands of miles, to find people and to urge them to turn to Jesus. In both cases, God had, had prepared for them opportunities to share truth with others, and these individuals seized those opportunities, didn't run from the opportunities, made good on those opportunities. For us, I believe there will be risk. There will perhaps even be some inconvenience and discomfort, but may there not be self-interest or any form of fear. Before the worship service, I was talking with one gentleman and he wisely brought up a, one, and as we talked a little further, there could be several false motivations for doing the right thing. So let's put that in the category I just referred to. May there not be self-interest. Uh, some of those self-interest could be self-preservation, and hence what I just mentioned, forms of fear. Uh, last night, as we were out at uh, Old Market, there were two cases. And as we left, actually, I was saying, this is a little bit of a feisty evening. Uh, we had two people. One was just really strange, but a very off-putting man. And my first reaction was, I really don't want to engage with you. Uh, he had some health issues. I don't think he was clear of mind. He was a little bit sort of grotesque in some ways. Um, don't need to get into details, but I was like, I, and he was speaking ab aggressively. I was like, let's just you know, move you on. Uh, if he wasn't being so vocally loud, I would have been more willing to engage with him. Often we can talk people down, and at least if they hear something. If the people around us hear a good gospel witness of patience and of boldness, I think there's some profit in that. He really did not want to be pacified. He did not want to hear. Thankfully, he did move on. Uh, the other was another uh, street vendor at the corner there, and she, I would love to have known her history, but was just extremely verbally aggressive, especially uh, at Bill, trying to shout him down, trying to sway a crowd, uh, it was a small crowd, uh, against him, against us. And so sometimes there are people we'd rather just avoid, but let us not uh, think of those bad cases, those aggressive cases, uh, as too prominent when we think of all the others that if only we ask, if only we engage just a little, 
if only we show a little more care and concern, willing to take our time for their benefit, I think we'll be surprised. People really do listen. People do connect with our love. They can see that we care for them, and they will hear, and by God's grace, be transformed. So, finishing with, I pray that we would be faithful to prepare for these opportunities, to have eyes to see the opportunities, to be motivated by love, to step forward into the opportunities, and be filled with God's spirit so that we receive, that he receives, he receives all the glory through these opportunities. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, indeed, we are humbled that while we were dead in our sins, you loved us to redeem us, to have your beloved son die in our place. I pray as we come to the table today, we would see this very visible picture of that love, the cost of that love, which is to say death. Uh, Praise God, it does not require our death to express love to our neighbors. It might be painful, but of course in very small ways by comparison. So please fill us with more love for those around us. That as you stir up this love for others, we would be stirred up in our gratitude, our humility, our thanksgiving to you, O God, who have done so much for us. And may you receive all the glory and the praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.